Our world's bizarre. That's the word that I keep on using for 2020. A lot of people have a lot of different words for 2020. Bizarre is the one that I keep using. Uh, I mean, we walk around and wear masks, and it's normal. And we take communion from uh, styrofoam uh, or cellophane, cellophane, not styrofoam, cellophane cups. It's just, it's bizarre. And uh, our, our seniors have taken a lot of the brunt of that. They've lost a lot. Uh, their, their plans have been changed as much as anyone. And I pray that this morning um, what we have done to celebrate them has honored them well um, as we worship the Lord and just kind of recognize the ways that they've grown, the ways that he has transformed their lives uh, through this place uh, that they have called a church home. So it's, uh, it's good to be here with you this morning. I'm going to jump into our text, which has been read by some of our senior parents on screen for us. Uh, But let's read that again together. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. But what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? This is a pretty big question. Jesus asked his disciples maybe the biggest question he will ever ask. And Peter gives a defining answer. You are the Christ, the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. You are the one who is going to save us. You are exactly who you have been telling us you are. If Jesus were to ask you this question, if Jesus were to ask you this question, just you and him, what would you say to him? Who is he to you? Who do you say Jesus is? Individually, we might all say something similar to what Peter says. We might regurgitate the things, uh, the answers that we've always been taught. But as we consider our relationship with him and the ways that he has given us life, And the ways that we have seen him work in us and around us, our answers would probably all start to look a little bit different. I asked our seniors to read this text in Matthew 16 and to consider how they might answer the question that Jesus asked his disciples, what about you? What about you? Who at this point in your life, as a a graduating senior, who do you say I am? So I wanted to read the, the, some of the, the responses that they gave. So these are some of the responses that I got from our graduating seniors about who Jesus is. I'm going to read these to you. I would say that he's a counselor. He's the one that I go to always. I know I can go to him when life goes wrong, when I have anxieties, sadness, stress, or confusion. I also know that I can go to him when life goes right, when I'm happy, grateful, or confident. He makes me feel comfort and calm. I know that he understands me as a human with human feelings because he too was a human. He feels and has felt everything I feel and have felt. He knows how to answer my questions. He knows when to answer them, even if it is later than I want him to. He makes it so I am never afraid 
to come to him. Jesus is my counselor, and he has saved me. He's the Son of God, my Savior, my rock, the one who has blessed me endlessly and given me the opportunity to pursue my goals. Jesus is my helper and teacher. He gives me guidance in times of need. I think about the words to one of my favorite songs, Prince of Peace. He's my Savior, Messiah, Redeemer, and Friend. They say that He's my safe place. He is human and God at the same time, which makes Him the best person to go to when I'm struggling. He understands everyday life. He laughs at jokes. He cries at loss. He loves like we have loved. He's a brother to me. He is someone I can go to in confidence. He can sympathize with me on my hard days at school or when I have an argument with a friend. He understands the ins and outs of human emotion because he is human. We tend to focus on the God part of him a lot and forget that he was actually human. He's my inspiration, and if those weren't enough, he is the one who saved me. He died. He sacrificed himself for me so that I could live. The greatest human being willingly gave his life, thinking about how he would get to see me in paradise someday. And that made him happy. He says, I can go on and on, but yeah, Jesus is pretty rad. I'd like to say so myself. He's my Lord and my Savior. He's the one who helps me throughout my day with difficult decisions. He's blessed my life in more ways than I can count. I am so grateful to be loved by him. Jesus is my Savior and Redeemer. He's the heart and soul reason of why I am who I am today and why I have accomplished what I have so far. Jesus is the one that can be a perfect role model, and he's the one I look to for guidance and strength, because without him, nothing is impossible. Jesus is the healer, king, liberator, purpose, savior, sacrifice. He's joy and peace. He is a warm embrace, a feeling that cannot be described only felt. He's a loving friend cheering me on in the good times and a supportive listener in the hard times. Jesus is an unexplainable peace, a constant, a savior, my connection to the Father, and daily shows me his grace and mercy. Jesus is the reason that I strive to do my very best every day. Those are the thoughts of our graduating seniors, uh, who they say Jesus is. A.W. Tozer, a Christian pastor and author from the mid-20th century, who stressed and encouraged the importance of and urgency for a deeper relationship with God in many of his publications, he wrote this in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. See, Jesus' question, who do you say I am, is a question with answers synonymous to that which comes into our minds when we think about God. And there are a lot of different images of God, a lot of different responses to this question in our world today. And ever since the beginning, from the day God created man and woman, the images of God in the minds of his beloved children have always and will always look and sound different. And the reason for this is because we all experience God in different ways. Our lives, the stories being written by God himself, which ultimately will bring glory to his name and to his kingdom, all look a little different. We all come here from a little different place. And our life experience is going to greatly impact 
and reflect what we think about when we think about God. So let me take a moment. Let's take a moment to consider Peter, the one recorded here as having answered Jesus' question in our text for today. Do you remember the way that Peter responds to Jesus when he first encounters him? In Luke's version of Jesus calling his first disciples, we get an astonishing response from Peter to Jesus. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus sees a couple of boats. And he gets in one of them and he says, hey, kind of push me out to shore a little bit. And then he starts to teach away from the shore. And then he tells Peter, hey, take me out a little bit. Let's, let's go out a little bit further. Um, Peter, being the professional, professional fisherman, kind of thinks like, you know, it's not going to do us any good. He's been working hard all night, has nothing to show for it. We likely remember what happens here, having been taught this story since our days in VBS, as Jesus calls him to go into deeper waters and let down his nets. But the catch that comes in in the nets, it's so large. They have to get help to haul them in. And when they do, their boats begin to sink. The next words out of Peter's mouth are his first response to who Jesus is. He says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter's response to who God is comes from a place of fear, thus provoking Jesus to utter some of the Lord's favorite words. Do not be afraid. And he goes on to tell them, hey, let's start fishing for something different. Let's from now on, we're going to be fishers of men. Peter and the others, they leave their nets immediately, and they follow Jesus. Fast forward a little bit. Peter has walked with Jesus and has seen him work. He's heard him teach and has certainly asked his fair share of questions. Having become a little more confident in who this man is, we hear Peter's confession, which we've already read today in Matthew 16. And we can read his proclamation in John 13 after Jesus has washed his feet. It's here that he tells the Lord with confidence that I will lay down my life for you. Jesus. His bold words are met in stark contrast by by prophecy of Jesus that he will actually deny him. Not once, not twice, but we know three times. And this becomes a reality on the night that Jesus is arrested. Then experiencing the darkest days following Jesus' death on a cross, Peter's mind has to race endlessly through the possible outcomes. If only he had might have answered those questions honestly. What could have been for Peter had he stood with Jesus? Could he have possibly dared to prove himself and truly lay down his life for this man whom he professed was the Messiah, the son of the living God? At this point, he thought he'd never get to find out. But that was not the end of Peter's story, was it? not the end of Peter's story. In the most triumphant of victories, one which seals the defeat of both sin and death, Jesus rises from the dead and proceeds to introduce Peter to the rest of his life. Having returned to his previous way of life before meeting Jesus, Peter finds himself fishing with his friends again one morning. Similarly to the first time he met Jesus, he has nothing to show uh, for any of his work. And again, it's Jesus' advice that brings in the haul of fish. John, who's with him, immediately recognizes, hey, that, that's Jesus. That's the Savior. 
Peter cannot wait. Peter can't wait. So he dives in, out of the boat into the water and he swims to the shore. Uh, and I believe that he has to embrace Jesus with what is one of the greatest reunions of all time. They eat a little bit of breakfast on the shore. Moments later, Jesus asks the question of Peter, do you love me? Every time he asks this, Peter includes some sort of phrase that says to Jesus, you know that I do. You know that I do. And each time Jesus simplifies his question a little bit more, almost as if to say, yes, Peter, I know that you do. Do you know that you do? As Jesus shows him what he wants the rest of his life to be about, what could possibly be Peter's response at a time like this if Jesus were to have asked him, now, Peter, now, Peter, what about you? Who do you say I am now? In a way, this is exactly what Jesus is asking him again, redeeming him and giving him the opportunity to live out the truth behind his answer that we read in Matthew 16. You say I'm the Messiah? You say I'm the son of the living God? Now show me and show them the truth behind what you proclaim. Do you love me, Peter? Go feed my sheep. I could continue on and on with Peter because his response here to Jesus is just the beginning of the rest of his story. Have you ever been given another chance? Maybe a millionth chance. Peter would go on to testify in ways that have impacted anyone to call themselves a follower of Jesus. Preaching Christ and him crucified on the day of Pentecost, integrating the church between Jew and Gentile, and introducing an inclusivity of all people in the church, and becoming an apostle who would eventually lay down his life for the very sake of Jesus and his kingdom. Peter's life is proof of the transformation that we receive through a life that exists in pursuit of God. But it's also a life that is proof of the grace that we need in order to see that transformation through. When Peter first meets Jesus, he has no idea of the ways in which his world is about to be turned upside down. Even when he answers Jesus' question in Matthew 16, his definition of Messiah, the one who saves, is an idea that holds earthly meaning in hopes that he would help overthrow Roman powers. And being called to feed Jesus' lambs, take care of his sheep, to feed them. Peter was being transformed in his heart and in his mind. And so it is clear to me that what comes into Peter's mind when he thinks about God is indeed a different image from, the, from when he first encounters Jesus until the day that he dies. And so it is for you and for me. What about you? Who do you say I am? I shared some beautiful thoughts from our seniors on who they say he is. And I believe that if I were to ask them to share their thoughts on that same question five or even ten years from now, those thoughts will have changed. And I pray that they do. I pray they do. I pray they do for all of us who proclaim the name of Jesus and profess to walk in faith with him because we cannot stand still in our love for Jesus. We cannot stand still. 
We cannot be stagnant in our understanding of who he is, our hope in him, and the hope we have for his reconciling work in our world today must be ever-expanding. We cannot be a church who sits in comfort and peace while there's a world out there who suffers through pain and injustice. You see this quote I shared with you from Tozer. There's more to his reasoning of his importance behind our thoughts on God than just what we think. It's more than what we say. It's more than what we believe. A.W. Tozer, as he continues writing in The Knowledge of the Holy, says shortly after this quote, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. What we think about God is going to produce who we are. It produces what we do. It produces the image people around us will see of the one that we call the Christ. The answer deep in our hearts produces the action that truly answers this question. Peter might have said that Jesus was the Messiah to his face, but his actions spoke a little louder, a little louder when it was time to stand with him before the cross. It is absolutely necessary that our view on God expand with our life experience as we hold on to our faith and trust in knowing that he will always be who he says he is. And as we see and experience him more clearly, we get to share him more fully. And if we do not, and our perspective remains unchanged, then our understanding of God may as well be put in a box. And in that vein, it becomes about us and not about him. It becomes selfish instead of selfless. And instead of being church, we are nothing more than a country club who believes in God. To our seniors, close with this, and this is to all of us and myself included, I hope that you experience God in some incredible ways. I hope you experience his love, and in experiencing his love, you learn how to love better. I hope you experience his goodness, and in experiencing his goodness, you're able to see more of his goodness in others. I hope that you experience some hurt and some pain. And in experiencing some hurt and pain, you get to experience the peace that God offers you in and through it. And through that pain and peace that you receive, you're better equipped to walk with others through their hurt and pain. And through all of your life experience, I pray you come to understand more and more every day just how much bigger God is than you thought him to be the day before. And that the kingdom he is ushering into this world is one that includes you and the story that he's writing on your heart. Because we get to be a part of this. We are part of his story. Uh, Pray with me today. God, we love you. And we're thankful that we get to be a part of what you're doing. Be a part of the story of the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, do incredible things in us and through us and expand our minds and our understanding of who you are. Reveal yourself in new ways on a daily basis. And may we give our lives to you fully for the sake of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen.